On October 10, 1966, the American musical group known as The Beach Boys released their single Good Vibrations. It was an immediate critical and commercial hit, topping record charts in several countries, including the United States and the United Kingdom. A love song about a young man who seems to be receiving waves of psychic energy from his lover. As he explains with the choral verse, I'm picking up good vibrations, she's giving off excitations. Yes, good vibrations. This song assumes a pop-sci mysticism that was associated with sunshine and California dreaming for Americans at the time. But how does such a happy, poppy song invoke unseen, dare I say, occult themes? Listen closely to the musical instrument in the background of this short clip. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. The weird, high-pitched undulation you hear in the background is the electrotheremin. It is a variant of the iconic instrument that orally represented the uncanny in American science fiction and fantasy, film and television from the mid-20th century onward. To compare, here's the opening clip for the 1950 American film, It Came from Outer Space. Yes, the theremin, the musical instrument you play just by waving your hands in the air. And what inspired Leon Theremin to invent this instrument? The instrument that Vladimir Lenin hailed as a marvel of Soviet ingenuity? It was a philosophical movement in the late 19th century that originated in Russia but spread throughout the Soviet Union. Cosmism. So what is cosmism? How did it take over the Soviet Union, influencing art and culture in both the West and the East, and how does it continue to persist in modern Russia to this day? All this and more in today's Spectral Skull Session. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Welcome back. Cosmism can be traced to Nikolai Fedorov. A low-rank nobleman born in central Russia in 1829, Nikolai's parents sent him to study in Odessa, which today is part of Ukraine, along the Black Sea. After school, he became a librarian. 
was a devout member of the Orthodox Church who lived in voluntary poverty, giving his spare money to help out the students who studied at his library. Somewhere between being dirt poor, going to church every day, and working at the library, Fedorov conceived of a book that would change the course of human civilization. It was called The Philosophy of the Common Task, and it argued that the fullest realization of the Christian Gospels would be achieved not through an apocalyptic war between good and evil, but rather through science and technology. Yes, Fedorov believed it was mankind's job to bring about the resurrection of the dead and the promise of eternal life, which are central dogmas to the Christian tradition. And he thought those would be brought about through universal sacrifice for the sake of scientific progress. The sacrifice being hard work. In his view, everyone has to work hard to contribute to the progress of mankind so that we can achieve the utopia outlined in the book of Revelations. The scholar Boris Groys describes Fedorov as, quote, simultaneously a futuristic visionary of unsurpassed boldness and an arch-conservative spokesman for ideas usually branded reactionary, a man with a 21st century mind and a medieval heart. Fedorov believed death was not natural, but a design flaw in human architecture. As a Christian, Fedorov believed we have a duty to care for the sick, but he also believed it was only logical that this duty to the sick implied an ultimate duty for us to eliminate disease, aging, and death. Indeed, our duty to help our fellow man extends not just to our fellow living man, but also to the dead. Fedorov believed it would one day be possible to bring the dead back to life. And this included not just deceased humans, but also all deceased animals. Fedorov maintained that bringing them back to life would require heading into outer space, where we would gradually recollect the missing particles of all human beings and animals who have died before us. I was not able to make sense of this, why he believes that uh, when people die, their particles go into outer space. And I would have thought that he would have been troubled by the fact that, you know, like when I eat an animal, it becomes part of me. So whose particles are that? And if we're going to bring all the humans and animals back to life at the end of time, uh, what do I do with the fact that I've eaten a lot of meat in my life? Uh, and so a lot of those particles that belong to me would presumably also belong to the animals. I couldn't figure out what his view would have been on that. I couldn't even figure out if he was a vegetarian or not. Furthermore, we are not just to go into outer space to collect the missing pieces of the dead, but to make the universe safe for the resurrection. Fedorov believed that if all humans and animals were brought back to life, then the earth would be overcrowded. Thus, it was necessary for human beings to begin immediate work on the colonization of outer space. In his view, all of civilization must be reoriented towards this goal of putting a stop to death and bringing back the dead. Again, Groys says, quote, Fedorov's philosophy of the common task thus calls for a total reorientation of social relations, productive forces, economy, and politics, all toward the singular goal of achieving physical immortality and material resurrection. Although Fedorov was not a popular writer during his own lifetime, it's known that his works were read by some of the great Russian artists and intellectuals of that era. Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, Fyodor Dostoevsky, the author of Crime and Punishment, Brothers Karamazov and the Idiot, and Vladimir, Vladimir Zolovyov, 
Now, that last person, he has the same name as a popular Russian talk show host, but uh, he was actually a philosopher, theologian, poet who died in the year 1900. Now, this uh, Fedorov, if I'm saying his name correctly, he, he was actually friends with Tolstoy, but surprise, he had a falling out because for Fedorov, Tolstoy was too liberal. You see, Fedorov was very dedicated to Orthodox spiritual life, including regular prayer and church attendance. Tolstoy did not appreciate the highly structured nature of the Orthodox Church, and so the two ultimately stopped getting along. It was in part through his influence on Tolstoy and Solovoyov that Fedorov would come to change everything for the Russians and the early Soviet Union. The Russian and Soviet avant-garde would become ultimately obsessed with cosmist ideas, which would find their way into Soviet film, music, poetry, theater, science fiction, and even architecture. Although it should be noted that his influence on the Soviet Union would come about mostly through a derivative movement called biocosmism. By the way, here might be a good time to note that the Russian Empire transitioned into the Soviet Union from 1917 to 1927. Biocosmists were Soviet thinkers who read Fedorov and appreciated his works, but were turned off by the overt religious dimension. Religion was not popular in the early Soviet Union, at least not among the intelligentsia. By 1929, it was forbidden to publicly defend religious ideas, and by the 1930s, public support of cosmism was also condemned. Biocosmist ideas, however, continued to circulate and influence Soviet culture. In 1922, there was even a political party called the Biocosmist Immortality Party. Their manifesto began, quote, We take the essential and real rights of man to be the right to exist, immortality, resurrection, rejuvenation, and the freedom to move in cosmic space. Indeed, for the biocosmists, like the cosmists, the freedom to move through space, literally outer space, was actually politically important to them. And there we can see cosmist influence on the theremin, that instrument that you play just by waving your hands in the air, unrestricted in any sense. Now, one of the early students of Fedorov was Tcholkovsky. Now, he was the founder of the Soviet rocket program. So having literally studied with Fedorov, he would later come to reproduce cosmist ideas, but in a more technical way, because he was an actual rocket scientist. But throughout his life, he would work on both you know, practical work with rocketry, but also theoretical work trying to devise ways in which human beings could move into space and set up space colonies. Dr. Azif Siddiqui, author of The Red Rockets, Red Glare, colon, Spaceflight and the Russian Imagination from 1857 to 1957, concurs, writing that because Tchaikovsky's influence was monumental in the establishment of the Soviet space program, one can say that Russian cosmism was also an important part of the puzzle of the history of the Russian space program, end quote. Seen as how the Soviet Union initially had the world beaten in the race to colonize outer space, and the USA's own moonshot was largely a response to Soviet advances, you might even say that Fedorov is the godfather of human space exploration altogether. Despite this, now Groyce emphasizes that the cosmist program and its quest for space exploration was deeply spiritual, but uh, even he has to concede that the Soviet military would take over space operations, and so most of the Soviet program would be done 
under military auspices. And indeed, if it weren't for the authoritarian central planning of the Soviet military, there would have been no actual space exploration. In addition to space exploration, these cosmists and their biocosmist cousins developed a wide range of interesting ideas. One Russian cosmist developed a theory that political revolution can only take place during periods where solar output is unusually high. He also discovered that moments of change in solar activity are correlated precisely with changes in the English government. He published a book on this, specifically arguing that conservative governments never hold power when the number of sunspots is over 93. Larger levels of solar activity translate either into a shift of governance towards liberalism or a period of chaotic political upheaval. Theories that human history were ultimately driven by events in outer space would continue to influence the Soviet Union throughout its existence. In fact, if you're covering contemporary American conspiracies, you may have heard of Emanuel Vilikovsky. Now, he is a Russian-American scholar. Let's see, he was born in 1895, died in 1979. He wrote the book Worlds in Collision, arguing that most of ancient history was a garbled recollection of the catastrophes caused by the planets in our solar system changing their relative position. And he was highly influential. Now he's back here in the 21st century because one of the things that he said in one of his books, I think it was Worlds in Collision, was that uh, the Dark Ages never happened and uh, they can be eliminated from the record. He needed to eliminate them from the record for one of his theories. And I've been hearing people say that now. If you're into the mud flood stuff, the idea that um, like Seattle was actually found as an intact city, but it was under mud and they just had to dig it up. Um, that stuff seems, as near as I can tell, trace back to um, Vilikovsky and his catastrophism. All right, well, moving on. Another idea born out of cosmism was the world's first blood bank. The Institute for Blood Transfusion was run by Alexander Bogdanov in the 1920s. Bogdanov believed that transfusing blood from the young to the old would rejuvenate older people, and thereby take society closer to immortality. Interestingly, though, Bogdanov would die himself of a blood transfusion. He had a young female student who was very ill. He traded his blood for her blood. She would go on to recover and live, but Bogdanov would die. Unfortunately, the pan-European rumors of the Institute for Blood Transfusion were not as positive as the actual program itself. It's widely thought that the news reports about Bogdanov's institute whereas some of the inspiration for Bram Stoker's novel Dracula. Now, as I said, cosmism itself was banned across the Soviet Union in 1930, but it survived as an underground movement. And according to Basanjav Terbish, it survived, quote, in the secretive healing practices of psychics who used cosmic energies, in stories about UFO sightings, in underground circles discussing the paranormal, in Samizdat manuscripts, end quote. And then in the 1980s, when the Soviet Union began to relax its censorship, cosmism once again exploded in popularity. And by the 1990s, it had taken notable root in Kalmykia, which is a republic within the Russian Federation located in the North Caucasus. So it's north of Azerbaijan and Georgia, between the Caspian and the Black Sea. Well, it's a little north of being between, but you get the idea. It's between them, but it's also north of them. In this region of Russia, the people traditionally practiced a mix of Buddhism and traditional 
shamanic practices. They are said to be descended in part from the Mongols, and um, they very much continue to practice their unique religion. But in more recent years, many of them have adapted cosmist ideas onto their own traditions. Let's talk about some of the events that played a role causing these people to uh, sort of change their views. In 1992, several residents of the capital of Kalmykia made a stir when they saw a UFO, which they described as a huge globe of yellow, greenish, bluish color. And then one of those people reporting the UFO would later describe further encounters with ETs in his book titled Visits to the Motherland of Ancestors. In 1997, the president of Kalmykia shocked Russian leadership by telling people he had in fact been abducted by extraterrestrials. Allegedly, he took Russian President Boris Yeltsin aside and told him about the contact event. Yeltsin told him to keep the story low profile and keep working. The president of Kalmykia did not take his advice, instead began telling local and foreign press all about his alien abduction experiences. According to the president, the aliens took him into their spaceship, showed him the research they were doing on Earth. When he asked them to contact humanity, they said they were not ready for human contact. And so the president of Kalmykia, his name is Kurzan Ilumzinov. Um, he's also amazed his people with his high levels of energy. Uh, and he claims he gets that energy direct from the Kalmyk landscape. During his 17-year tenure as president, his projects would include an attempt to build a spaceport in Kalmykia, an attempt to have the first dogs in space, as well as Lenin's body reburied in Kalmykia. Um, he was not successful at many of these enterprises, but he did succeed at rewriting Kalmyk Constitution to call for the integration of church and state, and he had the new constitution specify that the people of Kalmykia are responsible for the entire world because, quote, we are all earthlings, children of the cosmos. Another success he had while president was having chess instituted as compulsory. Apparently, he was also the World Chess Federation president for many years, is known as an excellent chess player, and has publicly stated that chess is a game of alien origin. So Kalmykia remains a hotbed for cosmism. It's not just their president and their constitution. They have popular discussion clubs dedicated to talking about space exploration and futuristic ideas. They have art galleries which display cosmist-inspired artwork, including that of famous Kalmyk artist Dmitry Sanjaev, a self-proclaimed alien abductee who paints cosmic art. They even have a professor at Kalmyk State University who works on cosmist theory. He's not a scholar who studies like why do people believe in cosmism or where did it come from? He actually works on cosmos theory, so he works within the system and teaches it at Kalmyk State University. Many prominent cosmists in Kalmykia claim to be receiving telepathic messages from outer space. One noteworthy personage is Alexis Nuskayev, a former Kalmyk anesthesiologist who in 2000 became a personal advisor to the Kalmyk president. This individual has written on the the deep prehistoric past of Kalmykia, on the Vedic wisdom of their ancestors, on the flying of Vedic pyramids, as well as extraterrestrials, and on ways in which Asian Russians can preserve their identity. If you want to know more about cosmism, sadly there's very little about it in English. Now, from what I was able to read, which is all in English, um, 
they say that there's a lot of material, but it's all in Russian. The only sources I was able to find and use for this episode, uh, MIT University Press has a 2018 book, Russian Cosmism by Boris Groys. Um, another book, The Young Cosmists, The Esoteric Futurism of Nikolai Fedorov and His Followers by George Young. And everything about Kalmykia comes from the Journal of Modern Asian Studies, an article titled Russian Cosmism, colon, Alien Visitation and Cosmic Energies in Contemporary Russia. So our episode on Russian Cosmism is drawing to a close. For me, there's something fascinating here, even though I feel like it's a subject that's very enigmatic to me and I don't have a full grip on it. I was frustrated that I wasn't really able to find very many primary sources because I would have liked to have read their actual arguments. Nevertheless, we have an, a movement that took Russia by storm in the late 19th and 20th century, a movement that was focused on universal brotherhood of man, making the world a better place through scientific progress and individual sacrifice, a movement that gave rise to the space race, and which today, in a slightly different form, enjoys surprising popularity among the Buddhist Mongols of central Russia. In this era of unprecedented global hostilities, there's some value in remembering that even our so-called adversaries have made unique and lasting contributions to the development of the human race. And even in this time of war, remember that the Russian Kalmyks are the only people in the world to have written into their constitution, we are all earthlings, children of the cosmos. For the Spectral Skull Session, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane. And I'm going to leave you today with the original Star Trek theme song, but played on a theremin. This is from the YouTube video by Free Axie. Mm -hmm.